This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got Graham Williams with me today. We have a fun show. We'll be talking about uh, smart home technology uh, once again. This time, smart light switches. Uh, I've got a really cool company, Leviton, that uh, makes uh, some of these devices uh, and can do some pretty amazing uh, things. We'll uh, also be chatting about uh, an app that helps you make restaurant reservations uh, right through your uh, smartphone and uh, all about uh, Fair Play, uh, the website uh, blocking coalition uh, by Bell and Rogers uh, and others here in Canada that uh, want to block websites uh, that pirate uh, movies and TV shows. Right now, let's uh, get into some of the news. Thanks for uh, coming on the show today, Graham. I was glad to be here. Uh, So a big uh, story here. about uh, malware, and uh, the FBI is actually uh, recommending uh, that uh, people uh, reboot their routers. Yeah, so over 500,000 devices were infected by something called VPN filter, and it was a piece of malware designed by dun, 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 the Russians. Um, it actually was put out by a Russian hacking group, and you know who that's connected to? Could be anybody's guess, uh, but we'll actually fill in the blanks on that. But the FBI took control of the domain name that it was reporting back to earlier this week, and by doing so, they were able to basically push out a, uh, a fix for this. So if you have a router that you suspect may have been affected by this, or even if you don't, it's probably a good time to reboot your router. Um, I know personally I'm using an Apple Airport Extreme, which, I mean, those things have uptime of, it's it's like years. Yes. <laughs> so every once in a while, I'm like, I, sh- I should reboot my router. And I reboot my router and... Nothing really happens, but uh, for for some models out there, it can actually be very helpful to reboot them every once in a while. And in this particular case, uh, rebooting your router will actually kill that malware and bring you back onto the safe side of uh, network operation. Were there specific routers that it targeted, or is like everything? There, there were specific routers. I don't have the list on me here, but if you do a quick search online for VPN filter malware uh, router list, you'll be able to find out, uh, if your router was affected or not. Oh, I, uh, I can see some here, uh, a bunch of ones from Linksys, uh, Netgear, uh, TP-Link, uh, yeah, check that list out. Yeah. But you know what? Who cares? Just reboot, reboot your router. <laughs> from, from what I recall, a lot of the routers that were affected were older devices. So if you do have like a new mesh work, mesh networking device, probably not on that list. Uh, also, oh, if you are my still- router. My router's on the list. Your router's on the list. Of so course it is. You, of course. But it's a new router. You, it's you, the Netgear R7000. So you should reboot. I should do that. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Also in the tech news here on Get Connected, uh, there's a, uh, a new- I guess, uh, law in place in uh, the European Union, uh, the GDPR, explain that. GDPR, so this is a new privacy legislation that basically controls the amount of information that companies can gather about you and they need to inform you of all the stuff that they're they're collecting. If you have noticed this week and you're probably like everybody else on my social media platforms, you're receiving a ton of emails that say, we've updated our privacy policy. Uh, That is actually GDPR in action. Um, and what we're starting to see is that uh, GDPR is having major effects uh, across the market, um, not, not the least of which is, you know, whether or not you're staying on email lists. Uh, one of the, the PR, th- one of the privacy things that they've done here is they've made people, uh, made companies re-ask whether or not you want to be on that list. It's been great for me because I've, I've let a lot of those emails just go straight to trash. And the amount of spam that I get first thing in the morning now is way down. Uh, which means that it wasn't really spam. It's newsletters that I signed up for when I bought silly things online. So uh, that's actually a huge benefit. One of the things that we are seeing, though, is that it is difficult for a lot of companies to actually comply with these 
uh, bits of legislation. So in some cases, uh, you know, blocking users uh, is actually easier for for these companies than trying to comply with that that legislation. Really? Yeah. So, you know, if you're um, looking at a lot of uh, newspapers and online services, basically blocking Europe um, is easier than making changes to your service because in a lot of cases, they are looking to uh, basically siphon this information so that they can sell it off to advertisers and whatnot. So we're starting to see a, a massive digital divide, which is the Atlantic Ocean, essentially, uh, between North America and Europe. As uh, Why is Europe so far ahead of us on this? Uh, to be honest, I mean, the, the European Union has been very uh, pro-consumer. It's been very uh, pro-individual privacy rights. Um, I mean, we're, we're quite good at it here in Canada. We have uh, the, uh, a great uh, uh, set of privacy legislation, uh, regulations and legislations here. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a team in the government actively working towards maintaining privacy. Uh, down in the States, it, quite frankly, is a dumpster fire when it comes to privacy. And that is... <laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? And it, it's only gotten worse, obviously, since, uh, since 2016. Um, we're seeing a lot of deregulation. We're seeing a lot of companies just playing fast and loose with the rules and you know we saw things like cambridge analytica happen um you know like with due respect the free market is a wonderful thing but when it has absolutely no respect for individual users privacy and if you believe in privacy at all you can't look at what's going on across the border with the fcc with agit uh with net neutrality and think that it is in any way beneficial to your own privacy uh, if you believe that you are wrong <laughs> that's not even an opinion thing it's well, flat out wrong. Well, we'll be following up uh, on this in weeks to come, I think. Uh, big news story this past week here. Uh, you've probably read uh, this or seen this. Uh, there is a, a family down, uh, I think, in Portland, Oregon, uh, that had their conversation uh, recorded through their Amazon Echo device uh, that has the Alexa voice assistant and sent to one of their, I guess, friends or some, or an employee. Yes. Yeah, so so this was a, a massive scandalous story when it came out. And as soon as it came out, I was like, eh, let's just hang on a second because I think there's probably a good explanation for this. And it's something that uh, has actually been confirmed by Amazon. This was the normal operation of this device. Um, essentially, and this is the quote here, Echo woke up due to a word in the background conversation sounding like Alexa, which if you've got one at home right now, it might have just woken up. Then the subsequent conversation heard something as send a message, at which point it said out loud to whom uh, in the background conversation, it was interpreted as the name of somebody on the contact list. Alexa then asked out loud this person, right? Uh, and then it heard an answer that it thought was right. I've actually had something like this very similar happen to me where I'm having a conversation, um, you know, a few feet away uh, from my Echo Dot device, and it hears something. And when you go back and kind of listen and think about your conversation, you will find something that does sound like Alexa. And you could actually go through this string of events. When we think about the number of devices out there and the conversations that are happening, this is going to happen, which doesn't make it any better, to be quite honest. Um, you know, they're Outside of the device, there's really no notification. So if it's doing this stuff in the background and you don't necessarily hear it, you could be sending stuff like this to people. It basically recorded a voice memo and then sent that voice memo to that person after going through all the steps to make sure that it was supposed to do that. Um, so this is this is an interesting one. Um, you know, I personally don't uh, think that it was a bad thing for this to happen, but I do think that maybe there might need to be some sort of other, you know, check and balance here, which it could so. be could be something as simple as, you know, using a, an Android Wear or our Apple Watch device to confirm or sending a message to your phone to confirm. Um, you know, there are some features of, of, the, of the Alexa devices that are quite interesting. One of them is drop-in, which is if you've got multiple of these things in your house, you can actually drop in on the device and listen into the room. 
Um, and you're able to do that through the app or you're able to do that through uh, the other devices. Oh, don't let my wife hear this. Right? Yeah, so she this... will burn all the Amazon Echo <laughs> devices in my house. Well, it's one of those things where if you've got kids, you can kind of supervise what's going on. And that's, again, we're getting back to privacy. It's a little weird. This is a new paradigm that we need to figure out. There's some, uh, 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 I guess, a proposal to the CRTC called Fair Play brought uh, to them by some of the big uh, broadcasters and service providers uh, here in Canada, Bell and Rogers, about blocking websites that contribute to privacy. There's been a lot of piracy. Cri- piracy, right. <laughs> uh, been a lot of criticism. Uh, now Bell and Rogers have responded. We've got uh, one of our friends from Open Media to uh, help uh, look through that. When we come back from the break, Fair Play and also Open Table, a restaurant reservation app that you need to be using. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Continuing on our uh, smart home theme that we've been covering for the past few weeks, wanted to talk about uh, a cool Canadian company that's doing things with uh, thermostats and switches. On the line, we've got Casey McKinnon from Ecobee. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Mike. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, so some of our listeners might know you from the Ecobee thermostats. Uh, tell, tell our listeners what Ecobee is all about, first of all, as a company. Sure. Um, well, I guess I'll just I'll start with a little bit of our story. So we're we're founded about ten years ago uh, in Toronto, Canada, and um, we were actually the creators, we were the inventors of the smart thermostat. So we were actually the first company to come up with the idea of a Wi-Fi connected thermostat that you can control from anywhere. And um, our founder actually. Uh, was researching ways to uh, save energy and save money uh, in his home and looked at things like adding solar panels or driving an electric car, those kind of things. But those are both very expensive propositions. And during his research, uh, he discovered that um, it's actually heating and cooling of your home that um, you know is up to half of what your energy bills is consists of. And he learned that simply programming a thermostat was uh, a way to actually save a significant amount on those bills, on your heating and cooling bills. So we came up with the idea of uh, a thermostat that was really, really easy to program. And and to do that, they needed uh, an interface. So they came up with the idea of connecting it to a smartphone at the time. Um, and then 10 years later, here we are, um, and we're on our fourth generation of thermostat. I'm actually working on the fifth generation with the team right now. And um, we're the number two selling thermostat in North America, and we just launched our um, Ecobee Switch Plus product, um, which ties together um, the thermostat savings with uh, the ability to control your lights in your home. Uh, so, yeah, lots going on here. Let's talk about the thermostats uh, to begin with. Uh, so, how do they help save money? So, yeah, the thermostats help save money. What, what's really important is, you know, if you're if you're looking at it, the most basic sense of it. If you if all you wanted to do was save money, uh, you could just buy a sweater and you could wear that in your house and you know <laughs> turn your heat down. Um, but the the fact is that people lead busy lives. They've got uh, growing families, and they don't want to have to wear a sweater in the house, and they just want to be comfortable as they are where they are. Um, so what a smart thermostat allows you to do is first of all it makes it really really easy to set a schedule. Um, and, and perhaps the most obvious place that you don't need to heat and cool your house is when you're gone. Um, so we make it really easy to, to tell the thermostat uh, when you're away, when you're at work, um, or when you're on vacation, for example. And we can turn down the temperature a few degrees 
And that helps to, um, obviously, you don't need to heat the house as much, so you're going to save on your energy bills. Um, but also, we go much deeper than that in that we're able to use uh, data to understand how long it takes to heat and cool your house um, at certain uh, times of the day, under certain weather conditions, um, and certain times of year. Uh, and we can use all that data to really, really optimize so that we're only heating or only cooling your house as little as possible to keep you comfortable. Um, and then what really makes our product unique is that we add this new sensing capability to your home, which is what we call occupancy sensing. And occupancy will be able to automatically detect if you're home or away and, and optimize the comfort of your home uh, so that you're comfortable. And then when you're not home, you're optimizing more for savings. So that, that's where the idea of a smart thermostat comes in as opposed to just a programmable thermostat. Sounds like they're smarter than we are. Yeah, might be. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any numbers on how much uh, a house could save over a year? Uh, sorry, couldn't hear that part. Oh, sorry. Uh, do you have any sense of uh, you know how much a household could save over a year using uh, one of your thermostats? Yeah. Um, so our we have data um, that tells us um, you know typically uh, a, a customer could save up to twenty three percent on their heating and cooling bills by using a smart thermostat, and that's opposed to just setting uh, setting a hold, which is really what typically people do is they just say, you know, I want my house at 70 degrees or 72 degrees and just hold it at that at all times. Um, whereas using a smart thermostat, like I said, we can optimize for when you're not there um, or for the weather conditions and only heat and cool um, as little as possible. And that's where you get uh, up to 23% of savings uh, on your energy bills. Just thinking about my, uh, my uh, heating bill uh, a year, that would be could be hundreds of dollars. I mean, that would basically pay for the thermostat in the first year. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, I think, the, the main the, the thing that really hits home with people as they start to learn more and more about uh, smart thermostats is that it's the kind of product that it's cool and it's, it's gadgety and, and it's, you know, kind of fun to have, but the, it's like one of those few things that actually pays for itself um, dollar-wise. So... Um, you know, I've had one for over three years now, and and I uh, I can I can attest to the fact that it's definitely paid for itself. And and then you get all the other benefits too of being able to control it from your phone, um, being able to use even our latest generation thermostat incorporated Amazon Alexa into the thermostat itself, so you can actually talk to it and use voice commands to command your home. You can get a flash briefing. You can play music. All those things that you normally associate with entertainment. Um, you're now getting from a device that you originally bought for energy savings. So the the value really starts to add up there. You're talking about the uh, Ecobee 4, I believe, with uh, Amazon Alexa voice assistant built into it. I actually installed one of those in my home, and I actually moved the uh, the thermostat placement uh, from a hallway into the kind of the main family room because uh, because of all the functionality of it. I mean, it's amazing being able to talk to your thermostat and have it control your home and, and get all kinds of information. Let's uh, yeah, talk about right. the let's talk about the uh, Ecobee switch. Uh, tell our listeners uh, what that uh, can do. Sure. Uh, so the Ecobee switch is really uh, three things in one. Um, so first of all, the switch itself is uh, it's a it's a light switch that you can you you can control remotely. So it's something that 
uh, you can actually uh, turn on and off with your smartphone, just like any other smart light switch you could buy uh, on the market today. Um, but it is also um, a, a, an Amazon Alexa-enabled product. So it has um, Amazon Alexa capabilities, like I said, similar to what we have in our thermostats. You can control your smart home, turn on the coffee maker, for example. Um, you can play music out of it. Uh, you can obviously control your lights, uh, play flash briefings. You can ask it all kinds of trivia questions. And this is, again, this is all built into the Switch. This is another thing that really surprises people when they say, okay, so it's it works with Alexa. This actually is an Alexa. So Alexa is inside the Switch. And it's really once you experience it and you have it in your house, you really start to understand what the power of having uh, Alexa in multiple rooms in your house. So today, a lot of people have these kind of um, voice assistants, um, you know, whether it's an Amazon Echo, a Dot, or a Google Home product. They've got them in maybe one or two places in their house. But because it's built into this smart light switch, it enables you to put it in things like, like I have one in my basement when I go downstairs and uh, say I'm doing a workout or something like that. Um, I can have it play a playlist while, while I'm working out. I can have it set a timer for me. Um, and then it also has what's really unique about it is that it has a motion sensor built into the switch. Um, and that's something that um, in the future will actually uh, later this summer, it'll start working with our thermostat. So I mentioned the idea that our thermostat uses uh, has a sensing capability that will tell if the house is occupied. And our light switch product comes with that sensor built in. We're working on enabling that functionality um, later on this summer, like I said. So it is going to also tie in as a room sensor and work with the thermostat. So it's a light switch, it's a room sensor, and it's also Amazon Alexa all-in-one device. The times we live in. Uh, what What kind of pricing are we looking at? For this, um, so light switch retails U.S. retail is uh, ninety nine dollars, and you can buy it at uh, at ecobee.com um, or other places like uh, Amazon.com um, or uh, Home Depot. The future is smart. We've been talking with Casey McKinnon from Ecobee. Thanks for joining us, Casey. My pleasure. Thanks very much, and uh, yeah, looking forward to sharing uh, other really cool products we're working on in the future. When we come back, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Still lots of tech to talk on today's program. Later on, uh, we'll be chatting with the folks over at Open Table, a restaurant reservation app that uh, if you're not using, you should probably check out. Right now, though, I want to talk about uh, something called Fairplay. We've spoken about it on the program before. It's uh, actually... Uh, something that uh, a coalition of uh, companies, including Bell and Rogers, uh, that have been lobbying the CRTC to establish an independent anti-piracy website blocking agency. Well, there's been uh, a lot of uh, criticism about their proposal. On the line, we've uh, got Open Media's uh, expert, uh, Laura Tribe. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, So... Explain to our listeners again what uh, Fair Play is, and we'll, we'll get into their response uh, to some of the criticism. No problem. So Fair Play is a proposal that's been put forward by Bell Canada and a number of other uh, companies and organizations in Canada uh, in an attempt to block piracy, um, stop piracy in Canada. And the way that they're putting forward to the CRTC to do this is by creating an agency that would essentially 
be in charge of maintaining a list of websites that all ISPs are required legally to block. Um, so by creating a censorship agency, essentially, that would allow uh, one agency in Canada to maintain a full list of websites that Canadians are not allowed to see. What's interesting about this, uh, to me it almost feels like uh, Bell is like trying to have their cake and, and eat it too. On one side, uh, you know, they are a broadcaster. They uh, obviously sell cable TV, uh, especially out uh, in uh, eastern uh, Canada, but they're also the internet service provider as well. So uh, they're kind of getting uh, money on, on both ends, uh, obviously selling the TV cable packages, but also they've been jacking up their internet packages over the years because I think in a large part, a lot of people are downloading a lot of uh, these shows. Well, I think the bigger issue that's driving a lot of this is cable subscriptions are going down. Uh, we know that. We can see it. There's evidence to prove it. And people are cutting the cord and turning to Internet-based services. I think the problem is that uh, Bell and a number of these groups are using this proposal as a way to kind of assume or infer that people are pirating all these materials as opposed to looking at paid services online like Netflix or Apple TV or any of these services or even Bell's on Crave uh, that you can pay for that allow you to access this content without a cable subscription. And as cable revenues go down, uh, there's two problems. One, Bell loses money, and I think that's where they're really coming from because their Internet subscriptions and cable subscriptions together are what we're, what we're propping up their revenues. But also, a lot of money from cable subscriptions actually goes in to fund Canadian content and producers. And so that's where we see some of these content producers being concerned is that when they are not seeing that increased amount of funding, it really impacts their ability to produce the same volume of content. Uh, I think the problem with this specific proposal is not only will it, you know, fail to prevent people from accessing websites, having one ISP block a URL uh, doesn't mean that you can't access it, and it also doesn't mean that you can't find that content if you're really going for it. So it's actually not a helpful proposal. But it doesn't put people back onto cable subscriptions, which is ultimately the problem that they're really coming at, is that people are not paying for content in the model that they're looking for. We're paying for it in the model that works for us, which is online. It's kind of interesting. To me, they're almost, you know, they're trying to delay the inevitable. It's kind of like music uh, back in the day. You know, we had our CDs, uh, cassette tapes, and then digital music came along. You know, there was no way to stop uh, consumers from going to digital music because it was so much more convenient. And like you said, there's all these streaming services like Netflix and even Crave TV. I mean, that's just the way it's going. Like, eventually... Uh, most people will be getting their uh, content uh, online just because uh, good pricing, good selection, and again, just the convenience behind it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, services are going to continue to evolve and people are going to continue to find the technologies and content in the way that is the easiest and the most affordable and the most convenient. And I think that's really one of the biggest challenges with cable subscriptions is that they're just not that convenient to watch things when they're available online on the actual TV channels as opposed to what you're used to, which is now you can find any show online on a subscription service anytime you want and watch the entire series all at once. And so that model, I think, is something that we need to really be looking at moving forward in ways to ensure that we're creating content, providing content the way that users want it. Um, and we've seen, you know, the music industry is a really great example of that, how music piracy has actually incredibly and exponentially decreased once services like iTunes and the Apple Store came online, making it so easy and convenient that it was actually just faster and less of a risk to buy the music than to download it illegally. And people are actually willing to pay when you make it really easy and accessible. 
So, uh, you know, they've put this proposal, uh, obviously, out there. A lot of uh, criticism. Uh, you guys have been very vocal about it as well. Yep. Um, they, I guess, shot back, uh, basically criticizing uh, some of your uh, comments and also, uh, you know, your petition as well, saying there's, like, uh, duplicate entries, uh, false entries. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's unsurprising to see that we are a target of some of Bell's pushback on this. Uh, we are a grassroots community. Open Media and there were a number of other groups that also intervened in this proceeding are trying to find ways to give people in Canada a voice in these proceedings that otherwise they wouldn't have a way to do it. Uh, so, you know, what we did was we collected submissions on behalf of our community and anyone who, in Canada who wanted to take part that maybe didn't want to use the full CRTC form, which is a bit cumbersome, and we submitted them through to the CRTC. Uh, between us and a few other grassroots organizations, we submitted over 100,000 comments. Uh, and in addition to that, there were, I think, another eight or 9,000 that came in just by individuals using the CRTC's website. That is a lot of comments for a CRTC proceeding, and I think it's a bit scary for a company that is trying to put forward a proposal that clearly has such public backlash. And so what we've seen from Bell and their follow-up submissions and some of their talking points is really just attempts to discredit people's frustration. Uh, you know, there, there may be a few duplicate submissions in there because someone filled out a form twice. The same thing can happen on the CRTC's website. The heart of the matter is that people are really concerned about this and really frustrated and trying to find ways to have their voices heard. And I think that trying to discredit public sentiment and public concern is a bit disingenuous here when they're trying to say this is in the interest of artists and creators in Canada as well. It's kind of a tough fight, though, too. I mean, they're Bell and Rogers. They have billions of dollars and probably more lawyers than you can count. You guys uh, aren't really being funded by any big corporations. It's uh, a nonprofit. You know, we're a small nonprofit organization. Uh, I think we're doing really well for the work that we're doing in Canada. And ultimately, our job is to go up against these big companies who, as you said, have more lawyers than we do staff. Uh, and I think their legal budget is probably bigger than our entire operating budget. And, you know, what we're trying to do is just make sure that people are a part of the process. The CRTC is a really complicated organization, and to find ways to interface with those regulatory proceedings is difficult for us, and this is some of the work that we do as our job. Um, they don't make it easy. And so when you're going up against companies like Bell or TELUS or Rogers who have giant budgets, and this is their business model, you know, it's a challenge. But I think that we really believe at Open Media that it is critical to make sure that we are in those spaces and that we're bringing people with us. You know, we're we're not there just as Open Media. We're there as a means for everyone who's interested in these issues to have a voice and to make sure that people recognize that their voices matter. And yeah, that might be uncomfortable for companies who are used to kind of having their way and having that space be their own. But ultimately, these are the people they're supposed to be serving. And these are things they need to face and things the CRTC needs to be aware of, too. So I think that it's frustrating to see them trying to discredit citizens taking part in these proceedings, but I also don't think it's surprising because it really challenges the business model they're trying to cling to. Obviously good arguments on both sides. Uh, as uh, always, Laura, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Laura Tribe from Fair Play, or sorry, not Fair Play, Open Media <laughs> here in uh, Canada. When we come back... We're going to look at uh, the Open Table app, making uh, reservations easy just to click away uh, through your smartphone. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Eggerbo here in studio. 
want to talk about uh, an app that I use uh, quite frequently, uh, not only locally, but when I'm traveling. Uh, on the line right now, we've uh, got our guest, Scott Jempel, from Open Table. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Scott, can you give our listeners uh, a rundown of uh, what your app is uh, all about? Sure. So Open Table's app um, is uh, the easiest way to make restaurant reservations, to both find and uh, discover and book the reservations uh, that's out there. Uh, we work with thousands of restaurants across Canada, uh, as well as the United States and throughout Europe. And uh, hopefully we help you find the perfect meal when you're dining out. How long have you guys been around now? This is our 20th year, so quite a run, and uh, and we've really enjoyed getting to see you know, millions and millions of diners. We've seated over 1.5 billion diners since we started 25 years ago through online reservations. And uh, we've also been able to, uh, been fortunate enough to work now with uh, about 45,000 total restaurants. Sorry, did you say a billion? Yeah, 1.5 billion <laughs> diners have been seated. It's, it's a big number, I know. But uh, people love to dine out no matter where you go. It's part of... Uh, part of everyone's culture. So what are some of the advantages of using your app instead of going to the restaurant's website, for example? Well, I think the advantage is that you don't always know where you want to dine, and uh, you, you might ha- be hankering for a certain cuisine, or you might be in an area you're not familiar with, and our app gives you the ability to quickly identify the places that are around you, see real-time availability, as well as menus and photos, and when you make it a choice as to where you want to dine, you can you can book in just a number of taps, uh, you know, using our app. So hopefully, it's a it's a fast and easy way to find that great meal. You have a point system uh, involved with it as well, don't you? We do, we do. It's a loyalty program that helps reward you for dining out more. And each time you dine through Open Table, you get points that can then be redeemed for discounts on uh, your next meal. And uh, each each of your uh, dining occasions, you get a hundred points. But some of our special times and restaurants, you can get up to 1,000 points. And 1,000 points is worth $10. So, you know, for a free reservation, getting $10 worth of uh, rewards is pretty good. It's, it's actually kind of changed my, uh, my dining habits. I do a lot of business traveling. And, you know, in the past, I would just kind of go to the restaurant and show up. Uh, now I make sure that I, uh, I reserve my, my spot so I can get the points uh, as well and, and get some of that uh, <laughs> cash back. Which I, I thought is a, a cool thing. So, where can people access Open Table? Obviously, you've got the apps. Uh, can they go through the web as well? Yeah, we've got OpenTable.com, uh, com that obviously uh, and OpenTable.ca that you can you can check us out at. You also can download our Android or our iPhone app. We have an i uh, an iPad app as well. Really want to make it convenient whether you're sitting on your couch at home or you're wandering around the streets uh, of your city to be able to find the best restaurants. And so. You can use uh, any version of Open Table to do that. Uh, from my, what I understand, you've uh, recently gone through a, a bit of a, a redesign as well. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, we see a, a lot of diners, as I mentioned, 25 million diners per month, and uh, 1.5 billion overall since we started. We've seen seat, and one of the things we've noticed lately is that people are using our app um, as a almost real-time discovery engine. So they're they're out on the streets, they're hungry, and they open our app. And they say, I want to dine right now. So the redesign has taken that, you know, on-demand use case. You know, this is an on-demand economy. Everyone wants everything right now. And so it's, it's, enabled, it's taken that use case and put it front and center. So when you open the Open Table app, you'll see a book uh, tab. And that tab will, will show you where you can dine around you using the location that you give us permission to use. And then uh, you see all the availability around you, and you can discover 
what's available for you to dine right now. The time defaults for you know the next half hour, so you can see what's available. And then if you want to discover, there's another tab there that has kind of personalized recommendations um, based on your previous behavior with OpenTable. If I'm a restaurant uh, owner, how do I get involved with OpenTable? What, what, what's involved on my side? It's really easy. We have a number of different products. Uh, our main product is OpenTable Guest Center, and it's an all-cloud-based system that they can sign up with really easily. We have a, we have a site that's restaurants.opentable.com that uh, is where they can find out more. But our goal is really to, to give consumers um, you know, the most choice around uh, where they want to dine out. And so hopefully for restaurants, that equals... Uh, more uh, diners when they need them and the types of diners they need so that they can grow and thrive. And we've been working at it for 20 years now. What, uh, what's in store for the future? I think you're going to continue to see a lot of innovation. Uh, we're learning and, and seeing how people want to dine out. Um, there's certainly new trends, like I've mentioned, this like last-minute dining uh, use case. Uh, that's, that's a big piece. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of interest in dining based on um, uh, your... Um, you know, cravings. So we're doing a lot with photos and doing a lot with recommendations and really trying to give people an easy way to say, hey, I want to, you know, I'm really in the mood for chicken parmesan. Where can I go to get that right now? And uh, so we're creating a lot of content and, and an experience that hopefully will help people find the best restaurant easier. I have to tell you, I do like the new Discover feature. Uh, you know, in the past, I've uh, also used Yelp, you know, when I'm out business traveling, trying to find places. I found uh, Yelp is cool, but it's kind of messy sometimes in, in, you know, trying to find, uh, you know, a good place. Whereas the open table interface, I think, is a lot uh, more, uh, I guess, intuitive, I find. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. We're, we're working hard to, you know, get out of your way and help you find the perfect screen, uh, for, for perfect place to dine. We, um, we also have reviews, and we have millions and millions of real diner reviews. And the, the key there is that when you book at Open Table, when you arrive at the restaurant, you're marked as seated in the Open Table system. And that, that means we know you dined at that restaurant. And so the only reviews you'll see on Open Table are ones that have been verified to have dined at that restaurant. So hopefully they turn out to be you know, the most trustworthy way to answer the question, is this the type of place that I'm looking for? Oh, real reviews. <laughs> <I like laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, we're talking with Scott Jampool from Open Table, a uh, free app you can download on uh, your Android or iOS device and uh, also available on the web as well. I want to thank you for joining us today, Scott. Thank you very much. Great chatting with you. Well, we do have a little bit uh, of time left uh, on the program. When we come back from the break, we will be uh, chatting about uh, one of our apps of the week with Graham. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with... Get connected. Don't forget to listen to our sister show every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network and CKNW 980. It's on Sundays at 10. It's called The App Show. We talk about all the latest and greatest apps out there for smartphones, tablets, and TVs. You'll uh, want to check it out. Well, speaking of apps, Graham, what's our app of the week? Our app of the week is a bit of a fun one. This is something that I used actually when I was up in Squamish this weekend. Uh, If you're looking for a naughty time, uh, that is, if you're climbing, it's Knots 3D. So this is a fun way to learn 125 different knots. Uh, so if you uh, like to camp, you like to climb, um, or if you're even just sitting there with a small bit of string and you're bored, uh, Knots 3D is actually a visual way of learning some very cool knots. Uh, basically, we'll take you through step-by-step with these 3D uh, images and graphics, and you can learn the best notes for boating, camping, climbing, and everything else. It sells for $2.79 in the App Store, and I found it to be worth every single penny. 
You know an app that uh, sounds cool? Uh, an app uh, <laughs> that I just discovered. Uh, I actually lost uh, an item in uh, London Heathrow Airport. Mm. And so I went online, obviously, to the airport website. And they use an app called Missing X. Uh, and uh, basically, it's uh, an app that you can download. Uh, you can also use it through the web. And uh, if you've lost something, you can go there and actually uh, post that. Mm -hmm. And they've actually got a number of airports, train stations, uh, and, and other places signed up for this uh, now. And they've actually claimed that uh, over 1.5 million apps, or sorry, items have been found. That's brilliant. And so missing X, like the letter X, not like I'm missing my X. Yes. Uh, brilliant. That's great. I, I love it. Uh, so again, uh, you know, there's two parts to it. If you've lost something, you can go there and uh, actually post and search. And if you found something, you can actually go up there as well. Uh, and you go in and say what country and uh, the date and what uh, uh, item you lost. With London Heathrow, it actually, when I said I, I lost my uh, my MacBook, which is a crappy thing to lose, <laughs> um, it actually had a list during those uh, that week of ones that they had found. So obviously I have to give them my serial number and everything. So I'm uh, I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah, I, I hope you get it back. That's exciting. Missing X. And yours again? Uh, mine was Knots 3D. <laughs> <laughs> Love the Knots yeah. app. That's all the time we have left. I want to thank Graham Williams for helping me out today. This is Mike Agarbo and Graham Williams signing off for Get Connected. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.